Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Hi there. It's Karen Rands, of course, here with the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video. Uh, so today's topic, you know, I, ha- I had a break in some of my interviews that were scheduled with guests that I normally would do for the Compassionate Capitalist podcast show, uh, highlighting, you know, business issues, creating wealth through investing in entrepreneurs, how to be successful as an entrepreneur and scale to a business that you can exit and bring a return on your time and money and investment you know, back to your family to turn around and be an investor or to start another business or buy another business, right? Wealth, you know, pay it forward and create more wealth with the wealth that you create. But there's been a lot of information of late regarding cancel culture, okay? This cancel culture thing. And, you know, as with other things, they could kind of take on its, its life of its own, and I decided it, uh, I'd had a couple of conversations with people about this topic uh, on, on what does it really mean. I, I did a, a podcast uh, a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, with the Business Vision out of the UK, and, and it was a topic of conversation there. And so I wanted to take some time uh, in my normal Tuesday schedules to share with you my thoughts as a compassionate capitalist and somebody who understands and embraces the idea of conscious capitalism as well. And what does that, how does that relate to this idea of a cancel culture? So in order to do that, I needed to uh, be able to, um, you know, define some things. So we're all on the same page. And then I'm going to give you some business perspective and economics perspective of what should be considered a cancel culture effect or phenomena within the context of, of capitalism and uh, our society, what we strive to do as an enlightened society. So, all right, so here we go. So as we define cancel culture, okay, sort of like the official, you know, definition of this, Uh, It's an extension of the contemporary evolution of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of banishment, and they're designated to reinforce the set of norms. All right, so, you know, the idea of cancel culture has taken on a whole new perspective in the last uh, few years uh, because of the amplification that happens with social media. Uh, so if you think about what the original definition of canceling is, you know, it was, you know, when um, a celebrity sh- a show would get canceled, right? Um, because there wasn't enough viewership for it. There wasn't, um, uh, they couldn't sell the advertising on that show to make money to support the show. So the, so one of the, the, the basic premise through all of what I'm going to talk about is the flow of money. Okay, money, cash is king, and money dictates all of uh, almost everything. In in uh, when you have a have a a stick or a carrot, right? The stick might be to cancel something, but I'm going to talk about the carrot of how we can use this concept of of our cash and create a carrot versus just the stick. So canceling was just always canceling of a show. Uh, it would might run a little while. You know, in some cases, stars just didn't want to do it anymore. So they would finish out a season, you know, that kind of a thing. And it was really just sort of, you know, that kind of uh, can- canceling. And then it kind of went into this, this um, definition that became more of like a politically correct deal, right? So you started to have a few people that was sort of the, the court of public opinion would cancel somebody. So somebody might 
lose Twitter or twit, uh, Twitter followers or social media followers or, you know, because they were going to boycott. If you remember that old that term. So, you know, instead of if I didn't like what a certain celebrity said in the past, we might write letters or things like that. But within social media, we would just unfollow. OK, so you'd see somebody that had gotten into a spat with something a little bit more powerful on Twitter. And all of a sudden you'd have this fight going on and people would like unfollow. So their social media influence would seem to drop because they wouldn't have as many followers. It was always measured by what your social media influence, but keep in mind, just because somebody follows you or likes you or joins you on something or likes your page does not mean that they're buyers. And all it is, is an electronic on or off switch. That's all it is. So it really has very little impact in the big scheme of things. Okay, there's, but as we went into um, going into 2017, a lot of this changed. And social media, as well as traditional media, influenced it and probably stoked the fires quite a bit. But there was also, there's, there's this idea of, um, you know, you think about the power, the power of the purse, right? It goes back to it. Because if you, if you think about boycotts and, and years ago, you know, we, we didn't think cancel wasn't really the term because it was just a media term of a TV show or something like that. Or a character that would get canceled or killed within a show because maybe that star you know, they needed to write them out of that. We saw that with um, Kevin Spacey's thing. He just got written out of that show. He, the show stayed on. That character got written out because of his indiscretions and his behavior that people believed was not something that was worthy of supporting and, and uplifting and encouraging and condoning, okay? So boycotts, think about it. And uh, apartheid. It, who knows how long that would have gone on had a huge consumer base in the American culture boycotted companies that were selling goods there. Coca, I remember when the Coca-Cola boycott came out because they wanted Coca-Cola to pull out of, of South Africa to influence the stop and stop apartheid, you know, to, to, you know, make changes there within the government and, um, and, and the incarceration of Nelson Mandela, okay? So there was a, 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 the power of the purse influenced that. We've seen it when it comes to influencing be behaviors at government levels. Governments will have boycotted uh, uh, products and goods and services of other countries because of behavior that they did. They boycotted the Olympics because of the Russian behavior. They've boycotted uh, back a long time ago they influence uh, Germany or try to by boycotting Nazi products, right? Or companies that carried that or countries in the products that they produced if they supported that. So boycott has been something that's been very powerful. But it also, you know, you think about when you have a, a discretion on where you can spend your money, you know, sometimes a boycott becomes... Uh, not really a boycott when it it's not widely adopted because people don't have a strong passion for that or they like that product enough they're going to you know not you know adhere to their their values when it comes to that you know and 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 like for example there's been a lot of boycotts called off and on over time uh, to deal with the uh, like if if a particular fast food had racist uh, tendencies or supported certain campaigns or donated to certain things. But, but you know, the, those of us that uh, understood that said, look, you know, it's, you can't, a lot of these, these, like particularly franchises, they're locally owned. They may not be owned by a big conglomerate. So pointing a figure at somebody in a big conglomerate has no impact on that local business. And it could have a negative impact on that small business owner who has nothing to do that and maybe, maybe have not participated in any of the transgressions that the, the bigger umbrella has said to have done, right? And so 
uh, you've had a, a whole move from that, you know, but then as a result of awareness and people realizing how they came together and the influence that they can have and organizations that would have supported that celebrity, for example, Bill Cosby, because of his being a sexual predator, Roseanne Barr, because of her racist comments. Uh, she got her show went on in a different format. Charlie Sheen, right? He got, we kind of went a little crazy. And so they kept that show going because he became a liability to the brand, the franchise of that show. And, you know, because of, of just the things that he was saying and doing, you know, we had seen uh, even Kathy Griffin, right? Uh, holding the uh, simulation of a beheaded president. That was just horrible for everybody. That should have been horrible for everybody. And if you're going to have that bar and standard there, you also have to have the bar and standard of those people that, you know, tried to um, storm the Capitol with the goal to bind, kidnap, assassinate representatives of our, our in our Congress, uh, as well as the Vice President of the United States. Those were, that's a capital crime. And so those are um, things that you can see where people get, you know, get in their, their influence. So like, for example, the term cancel culture started to become something that kind of took vogue with this rise of Karens. And as a Karen, I can say, I would really appreciate, I just want to say everybody right now, if you're going to use that term to describe somebody's behavior, then use it within the context of what it was originally used for. And that was people that were complaining to authorities about the, uh, a, a person of color's behavior or presence in front of them, and they would freak out and and do these things and it also call the manager well it originally started to call the manager and it was because of this person that they had this irrational reaction to but then also it became something with uh refusal to wear masks as well and those are the kind of the context as it is don't just randomly throw it around because you don't like somebody's behavior or reaction or you don't think their response is politically correct because they disagree with you it's in those contexts because I have no problem for people being called Karen using my name because I don't do any of that stuff, right? And so, you know, but it got really amplified. So, for example, if you think about the Karen of uh, Central Park, this was the uh, person, I think her name, real name was Felicia, who had called the cops on this African-American man that was um, bird watching in Central Park falsely accused him of attacking her, freaked out in the way she held her dog, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So after a million views, she lost her job. She got uh, a, a charge with, with filing a, a false report of a crime. She got her dog taken away from her. You know, all that stuff, if she had done that, if she had acted that way to somebody in her workplace, she would have gotten fired anyway but they didn't know as a private person that she held those kind of beliefs, that she would take that kind of action. The people with the, the on the dog thing, had somebody seen her beating her dog or strangling her dog, they might've reported her to the Humane Society, but it wouldn't have gotten that kind of reaction that it got except that it was within social media. So the thing that we have seen that social media, the ability that anybody that has a phone out there has, has made people aware of things that they weren't aware of before as much. They, they um, operated in their own little cocoon, their bubble of what they felt reality or uh, reality was, their story they told themselves, you know, that all police were there to serve and protect, that many people did not, if they had, hadn't had a lot of interaction with people of color, they did not know of the fear that people of color lived in as a result of things that they had experienced within their community and even personally with the uh, certain select, you know, not a minority of police officers that held a racial bias that would react to people 
um, of color in a certain way that they would not have acted that same way if it was a white person there, quite frankly, right? I, I have been aware of that and I've done another segment on this for decades, for decades. People I worked with at IBM, uh, my uh, African-American, my black friends that you know come back from lunch and they would have had this horrible encounter for no apparent reason, just because of the car they drove. You know, it, it, it didn't, you know, it just, that stuff has existed. It just never got amplified through the lens of a video or a picture being taken that then had a platform of social media to be broadcast and shared and commented and reshared and amplified. So it raises the consciousness of the society, which led to the Black Lives Matter marches all through the summer and the peaceful protests. Uh, there was, uh, we're not going to get all into, you know, how media has portrayed that or, or misportrayed some of those things, but it, but it, it raised people awareness, the Me Too movement, right? So you saw people get canceled. The presidents and founders of companies got canceled because they were a public company. And that person that was the spokesperson, like in, in, um, Papa John's, for example, that spokesperson became a, uh, harmful to the value of the stock. Again, it goes back to dollars and cents, right? The power of the purse. And if people and people had the ability to purchase other pizzas, lots of pizza options out there. So if you're going to choose to direct your dollars, which I'm going to get into more in, my, in a minute, you can choose to direct them in a positive way. Okay. Right? So, so that that's canceled. The cancel culture that became that and it just got dubbed that anytime somebody didn't like the fact that they felt another entity was negativity impacting somebody that they supported ergo supported the words and actions of that person it got lamed i mean it got labeled cancel culture instead of looking at the underlying reasons and what what does that mean and so let's talk about what, what is compassionate capitalism? I define it all the time, but within this context, it's people that are directing how they spend their investment dollars and what they spend their investment dollars on. They can uh, buy stocks, public stocks. There's a lot of movement now, and I've done shows on this where we talk about how to uh, be thoughtful about how you purchase your stocks and be looking at the underlying, uh, what's the, the, what is the, you know, what is the market that they serve? How do they serve that? Which leads into, you know, conscious capitalism we'll get, we'll get into. Are, are their practices sustainable? Do they uplift people? And so you choose to direct how you spend your investment dollars. Um, same way with, uh, it, it leads into what my personal uh, perspective on compassionate capitalism is, is, is people learning how and striving to invest in entrepreneurs. Now we saw, and that's of course the reason why I wrote the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, is to give people a primer that are ready to expand their investment portfolio or their strategy to not just invest in public stocks and real estate or Bitcoin, for example, but also invest in entrepreneurism, invest in the growth of jobs in our economy, a growth in bringing innovation and novel concepts out or a novel business in an area that needs it, even if it's a local business down the street. So that is what compassionate capitalism is and how you choose to spend your money. Well, what came out, one of the things that came out of not only the Me Too movement, um, in which we saw that cancel stuff that we talked about for sexual harassment and things like that. But it's equality. Equality became something that's, that was of, of importance to people. As, and racial justice became something that was very important to investors. And, uh, and we saw that, the, that when they looked at, all of a sudden, there was this awakening, if you will, within the capital communities that 3% of all of the money that angel investors and VCs that, you know, on record, only 3% of that went into women-owned businesses, right? It, it has bumped up in certain markets. It might be 7% or 8%, but it was still not in the double digits. And guess what? African-American businesses were even less, even less than that, right? 
So, you know, when they look at all minorities that count as 8A, all minorities are, are your Indian, American Indian, Hasidic Jews, women, um, uh, Black-owned businesses, Hispanic-owned businesses, all of that counts. But even when you look at all minorities, okay, it, it still is only um, about 18%. And so what you had was an awakening within the capital communities that said, and I did a show on this, okay, if you're going to be a compassionate capitalist, if you're going to be a conscious capitalist, which I'm going to explain in a minute, then you need to carve out some portion of the dollars that you're going to invest and proactively try to find companies that would meet this minority status. Your, your business criteria doesn't change. You don't lower your standards so that you could invest in a minority or woman-owned business. You have the same standards, but you are proactive in, in identifying and attracting and inviting those businesses to come into your world of your capital world, right? If they do, if they're pretty good and they just miss one little thing because they haven't been um, enshrined in a culture of entrepreneur development, right? We can look back at STEM teaching and know that women and minorities have not heavily participated in engineering, mathematics, and technology programs in our schools because quite frankly, they were discouraged from participating. It's only of late that outside influencers have raised the bar of our K through 12 schools to encourage that participation and provided extracurricular activities for those that wanted to, that were not able to get it in the traditional education system to go outside of their education system and get those skills. Summer camps, after school programs, things like that. Think of black girls who code, right? That organization, I'm not exactly sure how old it is, but it's only about five, maybe seven years old and really only gained a lot of momentum in the last three years, right? So we have within this last few years, our, our awareness has gone up. And now if you go out there and you look, you see, I would say that at least once a month, starting in about, and sometimes one, you know, at least every other week, Starting in probably about May timeframe, maybe June, June, I would say, May, June timeframe, I started getting invited to venture capital and angel investor pitch events that were all just minority, right? They were all just minority. They're all just women-owned businesses. Um, and I've seen lots of panels where people have talked about the challenge of finding businesses that are women and minority-owned to consider for investments. And there's a whole chicken and egg kind of a thing going on. There's a lot of new VCs that have opened up that are just that, or angel groups that are just women. I've interviewed a number of women angel um, leads of angel investor groups on my show. I hope you'll go and listen to more of the Compassionate Capitalist podcast as part of that. So that's a thing that like you know, investors can do that that put your money to work in a good way. And so what does that mean from a, a conscious capitalism standpoint? So conscious capitalism is when business owners, founders, the C-suite of, of a large company set within their um direction, their mission, their purpose, their uh, corporate culture mandates that they are going to operate in such a way that they, they pay their people more, they make sure that the vendors that they do business with are, are environmentally friendly or at least they don't harm the environment, that they are uplifting and fair to their employees, that they give equal opportunity to their employees, you know, even though there's, you know, gay marriage is legal in the United States, there are still a number of states that do not recognize gay marriage or businesses themselves that do not recognize gay partners and gay spouses for benefits, right? So if that's something that's important for you, you as a conscious capitalist or a compassionate capitalist can choose or a conscious consumer can choose how you spend your money to make sure that those businesses that you spend your money at are doing the things that you want to do and let the free markets cancel businesses and cancel as it does now cancel shows right 
because somebody would boycott his show because the, the people kept that company, that person in the place that had shown that they were not living or striving to live an enlightened world. Right? So they let the dollars do the talking. So conscious capitalism, again, it's all about, and, and your influence in the community. It's how you lift up those internally within your organization, those that you do business with outside of it, and then how you treat the people within your community. And it's all leading towards what we kind of call enlightenment, all right? So what's, what is enlightenment? So enlightenment is, by definition, uh, reason becomes the primary source of authority and legitimacy. So using reason. So some people would say, well, reason is science. In some cases, reason is common sense, right? So the four, the four pennants of it or the main things that it, it the, or, or pillars of, I'm sorry, pillars of enlightenment, which you know, came out of Europe in, uh, I think, in the 18th century, and we have been striving towards it ever since. We continue to strive to it. Sometimes when I talk to people, I think about some of these science fiction movies or Star Trek or something like that, where there's women leaders and they're, um, where everybody gets along, there's peace, there's mediation, there's uplifting. You know, in that case, you know, part of the, the thing I always struggle with when it comes to racism, uh, we all bleed red, right? The only difference is what's around our our bodies, you know what I mean? This skin thing and maybe their hair, you know, kinds of stuff. Right. But it's like, if you were going to say that all, and I guess some cultures have tried to do this blue eyes are superior to brown eyes. Right. You know, I think that was a little bit of the Nazi tenants, right? So, you know, it was a purity of blue eyes. So, you know, there is reason and science that says that's not the case. All right, science. So liberty, progress, tolerance, fraternity, that means uh, treating people like your brother, okay? You know, treating each other one like that. Separation of church and state and a constitutional government. That's enlightenment. That's what we have been striving for. Our forefathers in the United States have been ha, set the groundwork for when they came over here and fought for their independence from Britain. It was so that we could pursue enlightenment within the United States. And 200 some odd years later, we're still struggling to get to that point. And what happened on January 6th is such a clear example that we're not done, okay? So what I would like to put out there and sort of my call to action is that if you are one that believes that we should strive towards this, this, we don't, you know, we, what is this? It's not a utopia, but this more enlightened society so that we have liberty. We have freedom to express ourselves. We have freedom to uh, gather. We have freedoms. We have free press. Okay. We have freedoms, right? But it's progress says that we are going to pursue the things that uplift others. That's our fraternity, right? We will have tolerance for those that are different from us, whether it's, it's race, religion, sex, sexual orientation. That's a tolerance for those things that because of science do not make sense to be intolerant of them. It's not reasonable to be intolerant of those. What's reasonable is to be intolerant of people that try to use race as a reason not to do something or race to not to keep somebody from their pursuit of liberty. That's intolerance. And that is not rational. Okay. So that's what we're striving for. So what does that mean when it comes to a cancel culture or, you know, quite frankly, right? So what has happened is think is, is what we've seen lately as a society, as individuals and businesses 
become more aware and more knowledgeable about the ills within our community. So many people, and they still right now um, struggle with this idea of redlining because for those of us that, that have this sense of um, tolerance, this sense of righteous equality, we cannot fathom sanctioned government rules that would intentionally prohibit members of our society for being able to step, put, pull a seat up to the table and participate in everything that our democracy offers. We have seen it over time and we've gone through this, getting the right to vote, right? You know? And so redlining was something that has had a profound impact on our society. And, and I only found out, I mentioned this in a previous podcast that I did, redlining still existed in Atlanta where I live that has been considered uh, you know, a, a very tolerant city. It was, it was one of the, you know, Martin Luther King's birthplace. It, it, it was an area that it was too busy to hate was this idea, okay? Because we were about business. And that was yet unbeknownst to a lot of people, except for the people that were being impacted by it, which were people of color. Redlining went on in Atlanta until 2017 right? Just three, four years ago, it was still in, in a, a, a guy from a major bank told me that because we were talking about opportunity zone funds. And I couldn't understand why some of these areas had not been developed or had not just stayed, you know, thriving. And, and that it was because of that, right? So the pandemic shone a light on those communities, the lack of, of, um, of access to the internet impacting the education, the lack of healthcare or ability to get healthcare in a lot of our communities that had light that shined light on that. And so what has happened within this, we, we, we now have an enlightened group of, you know, folks that look like me that have said, we have to step up and use the power of the purse to invest in businesses that are going to help solve these problems and make sure we spend our money with companies that are not a hindrance to our progress in the way that they treat their employees, in the way they make their products and deliver their products, in the way that they, um, the, the Delta, I don't know if Bank of America has changed that, but if you saw those congressional hearings, it was like a hundred times Delta change between what that clerk in the bank made and what the president made. And they were called, called to to the table to address that and i i don't bank there because of of practices that i have felt that were harmful to small businesses and were harmful to me as a small business owner that bank america did during the recession and i felt that their uh, their founder i mean the other founders their c-suite were not reasonable not enlightened not fair, not just, just nothing about the way they handled their affairs during the recession was good. And I have since taken my business elsewhere. Now I can't stop other people from doing business there, you know, cause sometimes that's a convenience. So it's not something that they're aware of. They, they like, they like the habit that they're in and they may choose to, to stay and that's okay too. Okay. But you think about, if you look at people, business, investors seeking to lead a more enlightened life in the way that they choose to spend their money, this is a free market and this is what capitalism is all about, okay? Libertarian, it says, we will strive to be the best that we can be and then how we use our money. So in theory, they're like, oh, we don't need to protect certain lands because people will naturally want to res respect the natural resources there. But in reality, there is greed out there in capitalism, without a doubt, um, that we've given them an opportunity to go make money by, let's just say, fracking on federally protected lands. They will go do that. And you can choose. Some people applaud that. 
They can run a pipeline through sacred territory, Indian territories, American Native Indian territories, um, and, and pay the people for those land use. But in reality, they have harmed that community in a great way, right? They were not operating as conscious capitalists or compassionate capitalists. They were greedy. Okay, and there is a difference there and you can choose to take your actions accordingly. <clears throat> so, but you also got to think about the people that sometimes wanted to defend. They will turn and twist the words to defend the actions of those greedy corporations in order to create, to, to justify another belief that they have. They don't believe Indians, Native American Indians are as worthy of people as people that look like me, that they maybe are not in, they're there stuck on those reservations because they choose to be stuck there. They choose to be supported by um, our, you know, our government set-asides and subsidies and things like that. In reality, they don't. That's a whole nother conversation that's very similar to the, the race conversations of redlining and, and racial bias. But they may choose that and it all gets into this all this other kinds of stuff that's emotionally connected but i want to put out to you sort of a story because part of what elevated this idea of cancel culture was the response to the insurrection on january 6th and you know businesses that said they were no longer going to give donations to certain candidates because they did they did not denounce that they continued to perpetuate lies that led to that insurrection. Uh, so many of those people truly believed that they were doing the right thing because they had been misled by politicians and uh, uh, people that had a microphone, different uh, media sources that have free reign because they're not judged by the same standards as, as traditional media, because they can start a video podcast, they can start a, a, an audio podcast with no money down and get a following and, they, and nobody is checking and balancing them on their lies. You know, used to be that radio stations would cancel. Um, I remember, I forget his name now, Imker maybe, uh, that Imker, they canceled him because he said some really horrible racist, racist things about some players on the women's basketball league. And, uh, and he got canceled, right? He got canceled. He can't, his show got canceled. These radio stations have come out now and said, if you continue to perpetuate these lies, then you will get canceled from us. But there's still, there is still voices out there that all they have to have is, is an internet connection. And so you have to assess who you listen to and how you listen to. And if you're only listening to that one source, when it comes to getting your news and your facts and try to find ones that have always been an arbiter of truth. They don't, you know, straight up AP, right? NPR, right? Some of these other places that, you know, really try to make sure that it's just the facts, Jack. They don't put opinions out there. A lot of what you get on your news channels these days, if it's not the six o'clock news, is going to be opinions. And so, all right. So let's talk about Mr. Pillow, right? Mr. Pillow got canceled, supposedly, because of his political affiliation. But what was it really? What was it really, right? Well, if you look at him, he was really the scene on TV guy, right? He had... <clears throat> Patented a pillow back in 2004 that was based off of uh, the form of it and holes in it and things like that. And he was selling it through kiosks, not doing really well with it, selling it at state fairs and farmers markets and all around Minnesota until he did his first infomercial in 2011 and it exploded, right? He went to 30 million in sales in in just a few years after that, within a few years, okay? But then he started to get sued um, because of false claims of medical results, that it cured different diseases or ailments, 
um, and, and false advertising because he always said it was like a promo, get it now too for this price. But that's really, after you do that for, for a decade, then that's really the new price. It's no longer a promo price. So it's false advertising. But because of his influence um, and in part sales, right? Uh, 2017, he was brought into retail stores. He had never been in any of these retail stores there. But I think part of it was there were people that, were wondering if they could get it locally. They wanted to touch it and feel it and not just, you know, see the ads on TV. When <clears throat> uh, a number of advertisers had stepped away from some of the Fox host shows, uh, there was a gap of advertising time available and he stepped in to fill it. So he became very much associated with a certain way of thinking within our community. His alliances with President Trump also contributed to, to that. And he became sort of a, a spokesperson, if you will, for some of the former president's policies and views and beliefs. And he was able to get into retail boxes because of this sort of momentum. And granted, you know, he was well-known. His ads were well-known, $30 million. That's nothing to sneeze at that he was doing, right? But, you know, he even though in 2016, a report by Consumer Reports said that only 30% of the people that had bought his pillow would buy his pillow again. So that just tells you it wasn't a great product. And he, he decided to expand into sheets. And I guess he actually started making masks, too, probably because he got a government contract to do that. You know, so he got all the, he went, he did all this stuff, but he took his eye off the ball as a businessman. He didn't continue to listen to his customers. He was not a compassionate capitalist or a conscious capitalist listening to his customers, making sure the way he treated his employees, the way he treated his customers with truth and honesty. He didn't do those things, right? Case in point, the lawsuits that were settled against him and that, uh, um, Better Business Bureau took him down from an A to an F in 2017, about the time he was getting into some of these retail stores. So when the decision came out right after January 6th to stop carrying, and it's, I think it started with Bed Bath & Beyond, then it was Kohl's, and then it was like a dominoes effect because there's you know safety in numbers. If everybody's going to do this, then we can all do this. And it shows that we support our democracy, we support truth in advertising. We support truth in our media. We want to hold our public officials and the, and the media accountable to tell truth to the people that are listening. So we, participants in an enlightened society, can use reason and science to make our own decisions about the things that we want to participate in and what we want to do. We want that we rely on places like Better Business Bureau and consumer advertising organizations to tell us are these ads that these companies are, are they true or not? And if you can't rely on that truth, then you're operating in the dark and you're no longer enlightened, you're entering into the darkened ages, the dark ages again right? We don't want to do that, right? There's a lot of death and destruction in the dark ages. And so I want to say that it's, it's less about punishing the people that say or do racist things, right? If you seek to, you know, perspective on this um, or supports them choosing to direct your dollars, <clears throat> be them. So it's less about punishing people but uplifting. This is the difference between the carrot and the stick. You, you punish because you can boycott or you can, you know, call attention to the bad actions of somebody like the Karen of, of, of uh, Central Park, right? You can call out when murder has been committed by a police officer on a person of color. You can call that out. You can use your voice on media to do that when it's really clear what they did because you can see with your own eyes what they did. And what we saw happen on January 6th, we saw with our own eyes that what those people did and the same way that they stormed the Capitol in Minnesota and tried to kidnap the governor there, the harm that they would choose to do to our elected officials 
the harm that they would try to do to our democracy is not something that we want to accept and condone. That's it, right? So as businesses choose to not support those uh, politicians, whereas before they did not know to the extent that they were not an enlightened politician, that they had that they supported these contrary to enlightenment viewpoints and perpetuated the lies that would harm our democracy, that would limit our liberty, that would limit our progress, that would harm our constitution, right? When they saw that, they choose no longer to spend their money with there and they will just spend it in other places. So it comes across as a cancel, but in reality, what they're doing is choosing a carrot. So like, for example, Anheuser-Busch is not doing all of their big announcements of a new product or a new line on, they're not canceling the Super Bowl. They're choosing to redirect their advertising dollars towards ads that will, um, that will uplift the progress of our society by promoting the science of why, what we need to do to stop this pandemic, what we need to, to do to prevent the spread. That's all the things, the social distance, the mass, keep it outside kind of things. And we're, the vaccine, people need to get the vaccine. There's a lot of science that supports the safety of the vaccine. The people that have an irrational fear of it they need to go and do their own research on it. And yes, you'll see a link of somebody that says this or that or the other. But if you go into the scientific journals on it, if you talk to real medical professionals that, that have done their own scientific studies on it and looked at it, you can go to PubMed, Medline. It's National Library of Medicine, part of the National Institute of Health. It's funded by your tax dollars. Every peer-reviewed, meaning other scientists have looked at these studies and accepted them and say they are true, then you can get real science, right? Peer-reviewed means other scientists have reviewed it for the methods that they used, the scientific method that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years as the accepted norm in the way we try to prove that something is right or not, okay? <clears throat> so those are the things that you can do on this. And Anheuser-Busch is choosing to redirect their dollars towards that that will help us progress as an enlightened society. And so I encourage you to consider for yourself whether you want to say you're a conscious consumer a conscious capitalist, a compassionate capitalist, even a compassionate consumer, that you choose to spend your dollars in an affirmative way for the values that you hold dear and let the free enterprise system, the, the, the libertarian system that says people will be rewarded for good behavior and good actions and good decisions that positively impact their, their community and society at large. And it's through uplifting and using our dollars, we don't cancel anybody. We just redirect it to promote the values that we hold dear in our current American striving to be more enlightened society. And that's all I have to say. I have more notes, but I believe my point has been made. And I want you to understand when you use those terms, look back. Sometimes people just, his business just failed, started to fail because he took his, his eye off the ball on what it was that he was trying to get done. He just was, it, it wasn't a good business to begin with. Talking about Mr. Pillar, of course. All right. And so... Um, continue on. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this. 
that was that one little final thought. I should have wrapped it up sooner than that because I think I finished high there. But, you know, sometimes I realize I, I didn't finish out my point on that particular thing. I want you to be be consi consistent and um, in, in, in uh, authentic in what you hold valuable and then therefore as you choose to, uh, to spend that, you know, and whether that comes down to the local businesses that you go to, you know, be conscious of the reasons why you shop there or you don't shop there, right? And, and there's all kinds of opportunities to direct your, your, your cash, your cash is king. And one of the things I like to direct you to is to go buy my book, please. Uh, yes, learn whether investing, what is investing in entrepreneurs? You can do it as Reg CF for easy as $500, $200 a month and make a lot of investments, small investments to save up to be bigger investments. But it's something that everybody can do that's a great economic democratization of the capital markets. Everybody has the potential to share in the success of other entrepreneurs that are working hard to be successful. And you can choose to spend your dollars that way, just like you choose to buy their product because you believe in what it is that they're doing. And I want to encourage you all to do that. Thank you very much for listening. If you, like, if you enjoyed this, please give me the five-star thumbs up and share this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougaran Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.